Screenless. Michael Carroll, young adult fantasy author, comic book writer, editor, welcome to Creative Cuppa. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. You're very welcome. I, You're very welcome. I like what you've done with the place. Ah, that's that's very kind. So let's start with young adult fantasy novels. How did you become an author for that genre? Well, that was one that I I sort of slipped into. Uh, I've been writing short stories for a long time and always wanted to write a novel. And at, uh, it was a science fiction convention in 1991, I'm going to say. I met uh, a writer, Michael Scott, Irish writer, very well known uh, over here, very prolific. Uh, he was a guest at the con. We hit it off immediately. I said to him, um, yeah, I've always wanted to write a book. And he snapped, why don't you? I went, what? And I thought, that's a bit rude. But then I realized he obviously gets told all the time, I've always wanted to write a book. And there's no impediment to writing a novel. Um, apart from one's own fear of, of actually doing the work. So I went, yeah, why, why don't I? Um, oh, and we got chatting and he mentioned that there was a few Irish publishers who published a, a young adult science fiction fantasy, that kind of thing. And I had a few ideas for stories. I'd had a, um, recently had a short story that did quite well in a local competition. And I thought, you know, if I could sp- expand on that, it would make a good, a good, you know, kids science fiction novel. And uh, so that's what I did. It was, I think it was about 35,000 words. And it took about, I think about two and a half months to write, which is, to me, seems ridiculous. I can do that in a week now. Um, <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I shouldn't because it would be rubbish, but I could. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so, so, Basically, I sent it to um, one of the, the bigger publishers here, and they promptly didn't get back to me. And after, oh, I know, a long time. I must have been, it must have been five or six months. To me, it seemed like a long time then. No, no reaction, no response. I just said, uh, okay, it doesn't matter. I'll send it to another publisher. who So a new publisher that was just starting out. But in the meantime, while I kept writing, I started working on a second book. But... I think about uh, about four days after the, the second publisher said, yes, this is great, we'll buy it, the uh, other publisher got back to me and said, we love your book, we want you to come in and talk to us. And I went, ah, oh, that's a bit yeah. awkward. It's a nice position to be in, though. So I said, but I have this other book. <laughs> so I got two books published at the same time, more or less. Wow. It came out in 93, which means that the intended readers of my books then would be 40 now. Wow. Because they would have been aimed around 12, 13-year-olds. It's a theme that goes across all the creative industries, I think, which is, why don't you? You know, yes, the, the way you got started yeah. was someone saying that to you. You can't wait yeah. for other people to give you permission to do things, can you? Just get started. No, of course. Yeah, you have to, to, to seize the metaphor by the horns and just actually do it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's easy to do that when you don't have um, impediments such as children <laughs> or... Um, or a, or a proper job <laughs> or something. But we, we, we've been blessed with uh, the patter of no little feet. Um, but, so I have a lot more time than yeah, a parent would. But uh, when I was writing for the first few years, I certainly had uh, a full-time job. When I published the first eight or nine books, I think. I, I, my sense of time is very bad. I, there's now and there's before now. That's all I understand. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, I wrote, um, after the young adult books 
took off and then ground to a halt very quickly, I started writing uh, romance novels. Again, that was just one of the things I fell into because, I don't know if this might be of interest to to your listeners, but what the hell, I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) I pitched a few ideas to one of my publishers after my third book, I think. Pitched a few ideas and every idea just fell flat. But no, not interested. But I had this idea uh, for an adult novel, which was set in the it's a place similar to where I was living at the time, which is an old house that was chopped up into many, many little flatlets or bedsits. Every character would have a different story and they would all interact and cross over. And it was incredibly complex. But I pitched them this idea and they went, okay, we like this one character and her story. The rest we don't care about. Write a whole book about her, do it as a romance, and we'll publish under a female pseudonym. And I went, okay, because... <laughs> There would be money. Yeah. And uh, so I ended up doing um, a whole bunch of those. They paid very well. Um, but it's, uh, it was a hard slog. Uh, but then, of course, it's not meant to be easy. It's meant to be hard. Well, exactly. But I learned a huge amount. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you don't, you don't learn anything by doing things the easy way. Exactly. You can only learn by doing things the hard way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I learned a huge amount about writing um, from that. And then gradually moved into the other kids' books. But again, sense of time is so Other poor. kids' books. Quantum Prophecy is a series that you have written for young adults, uh, which is published by Penguin Random House. What is that series all about? Uh, well, it, well, in fact, first of all, it was published in the UK by HarperCollins, oh. and then Penguin did the US version. But a series, uh, it was um, my take on a, a superhero story. Um, because at the time, superhero original superhero prose fiction was very thin on the ground. Nobody else was doing superhero stories in in prose form, um, except for novelizations of movies or comics. And um, I thought, okay, so my basic idea was to have a, a, a world where there had been superheroes uh, of the power level of Wonder Woman, Batman, Spider-Man, uh, this kind of thing. But they all disappeared some time ago. And that was like 10 years after they disappeared, some younger people, kids who are 13, 14 years old, start finding that they're getting strange abilities because it turns out superpowers kick in at uh, puberty. And one of the things we find out in the book is that one of the bad guys created this devastating weapon that went like an energy wave type thing. A lot of pseudoscience in there. <laughs> um, that wiped out all of the other superheroes' powers so they had no longer had any abilities and they had to go back to their normal lives. And it had plan had been that this machine would keep running forever so no more superhumans would be born. But of course machine got broken and then these kids suddenly find out oh hang on a second how come i can run you know at ten thousand miles an hour that's unusual <laughs> brilliant yeah and so it's um it, it started out as a four book series for harper collins and they said no 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 we only want three books so i went oh so i re we should rework the third book into or the fourth and third books together into one story and then when i was halfway through uh, the second book publisher said to me okay we're looking at four books we've decided i went hooray <laughs> so i left the um the ending open of the third book and then when i was just about finished the third book they said no we're not going to do anymore uh, and i went what uh yeah my my original editor left and the new editor didn't have the same love or support or whatever and uh ultimately that happens a lot i've discovered subsequently with writers is that w- we have our great plans for how we want to do these things but we are at the whims of the market and mm. the publishers. Yeah. And ultimately, if the publisher says, we don't think this is going to sell, well, that means two things that the writer has to be aware of. It means that, A, we don't think we want to sell this. Yeah. And B, 
they're probably right, it won't sell. Their job is to make money come out of pockets um, into their pockets. I don't want to be crude about it, but they don't, as, as a company and as a whole, they don't care what is on the paper that they sell. The company as an entity doesn't care that the story is good or bad as long as it sells because that company is, you know, is designed to keep itself afloat, like any company. As a writer, you tend you, we're very isolated and we tend to think that we're the most important people in the in the business and, and in the, sort of say in the process. Mm. But ultimately, we're not. Our job is to is to provide a, a um, if you like the template, which is the book, the text, and the publisher's job is to sell that, and that's much harder. Yeah. It takes an awful lot more people to sell a book than it does to write it. Yes. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that the writer's no, job is No, no. And, and as independent yeah. creatives, uh, of which I count myself as one, the, the marketing side takes a long time when, in fact, all you yeah. want to do is exactly. concentrate on the creative stuff. You've been in the industry now full time for over 20 years. How do you feel that the industry has changed over that time since the late 90s when, uh, when you made writing your full time job? Well, from a physical point of view, it's it's much simpler. It used to be that we had to print out our manuscripts and mail them to the uh, wow. to yeah. publisher, and and that's just one aspect, obviously. But that in itself was an extremely uh, labour-intensive process because if you're sending out a short story and you wanted to to go to a um, a, a magazine like you know a sounding or somewhere in the states, you, you print out your your story. It's ten pages or so. You first of all, you've got to find a paper that's um, American letter-sized paper, which is not the same as A4. It's it's wider and shorter. It's like paper that lives on Jupiter. It's a higher <laughs> gravity. And so, you, because some publishers wouldn't accept paper that was the wrong size. So if you were doing a novel for the States, that was a nightmare. Plus your printer had to be able to cope with that. Then you had to physically lug the thing down to the post office and mail it, and that cost money. And even here in, in Dublin, I think my third or fourth of the romance novels was 500-something pages yeah. in, in a manuscript format. And my publisher at the time insisted that every time I gave her a new draft, it had to be properly bound, which meant taking it down to the print shop wow. and getting them to do the thing with the... I don't even know what you call them anymore, but you pull the thing down at the, the big little holes. Binder. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, the binder. Yeah. You see? <laughs> but that's all gone. I can't actually remember the last time I printed a manuscript. But um, again, it was a, it was one of those things that was... You made sure the manuscript was absolutely perfect mm. before you printed it and sent it off because it meant another another four hours trying to print the thing because if you're on a laser jet printer, it wasn't fast. And, um, of course, it meant another tenner on paper and another 20 quid on postage if you, unless you could deliver it by hand, which sometimes you did, and that took half a day. Um, <laughs> that's all gone down completely. And then, of course, you used to get the manuscripts back in the post uh, with the handwritten notes from the editor all over it, so and now it comes back... Yeah, electronically. Saves a huge amount of time. That said, of course, I've got four filing cabinets downstairs full of different drafts of manuscripts that one day I'm just going to have to shred them and burn them because oh, they're no well, good to anybody. Yeah. But. For someone who is you 21 years ago, trying to get into the industry, trying to make this their full-time job, what kind of advice would you give them? Oh, well, you see, that's, that's a big question. Um, the most important thing if you want to be a writer is you have to write um, talking about it is not the same as doing it. I this I mean I know it sounds obvious and it sounds almost almost rude to say so, but you have I actually my friend Michael Scott who gave me the first advice back at the beginning, he said you've got to apply the seat of the pants to the seat of the chair and apply the fingers to the keyboard. 
if you don't do it, it won't get done. Um, no amount of wishing mm-hmm. is going to make it happen. Uh, you have to, to do it. And that means making mistakes along the way. It means writing stuff that you're not comfortable with. Writing romance novels when you want to write science fiction. Um, you get the stuff out there. Um, if, yeah, if we don't produce the goods, there's, you know, they're not going to give us money for stories that we haven't written. Never a true word said. Never a true word said. Uh, Michael, where can people find you online? Ah, well, I am on my, my internet, uh, my website, which is www.michaelowencarroll.com. It's O-W-E-N, michaelowencarroll.com. And I've got various blogs and Facebook things. But if you start there, then I've got my all the other bits and pieces that one yeah. feels is necessary, which are a great distraction from actually writing, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, things. yeah. Well, I'll, I'll put all those links in the show notes as well. Um, Thank you very much, sir. For now, Michael Carroll. Thank you ever so much for joining me for a cuppa. Thank you very much.